Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Crushing It in Real Estate with Arthur Wong, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned and enjoy. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing in Real Estate. My name is Arthur Wong, and for today's show, Brian has invited me on to host this episode. Very excited to be here with today's guest, who is a San Diego real estate broker and an experienced out-of-state investor in the multifamily space, Sandra Natale. Sandra, my man, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very excited to uh, chat with you guys today. Right. Awesome. So Sandro is actually here today. He is actually a San Diego-based real estate broker and also an out-of-state multifamily real estate investor. He has many years of experience. Um, He's closing deals. He's educated countless of agents. And like I said, investing in the multifamily space. Uh, Sandro, he brings a level of experience and wisdom that people yearn for. So I'm really excited to have you on the show and kind of talk to, to you about some of uh, your real estate experience and journey, man. Thank you. I'm excited to share with you what I've got. I have made it to the point where I do actually have some experience. Uh, <laughs> in the early days, it didn't, you know, I, I, in the early days, I felt like, oh gosh, there's so much to learn. It's an endless thing. And nowadays, I, I still learn things on a daily basis, but it's, I haven't had a question that I didn't know the answer to in a while now. So it's a new level, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I kind of wanted to talk more like uh, I I wanted to kind of dive into to kind of getting to know you more and having the audience learn a little bit more about you. Can you uh, can you kind of talk to me about just kind of how you started in real estate uh, I know, I know. I call that that you're a broker and an investor. I kind of wanted to understand how that whole journey started. Great. Um, so uh, it started out of necessity to make some more money. Uh, I have a sales background. I've always been in sales, and my father was really pushed me to be in sales. And so going back as far as working at a snowboard shop and. Um, selling cell phones and all that good stuff. Basically, um, 2005 ish, I'm selling cars for Toyota in Orange County, in Irvine, actually. I'm at Irvine Toyota and I'm selling cars and I'm doing five, six, seven grand a month, making decent money, you know, feeling good. Um, but the hours were ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if anybody, uh, any of the listeners here have ever sold cars, but I mean, the, the, you have to be there on the weekends, all three days. You got to be there the whole time and uh, you got to chase checks at the end of the night and you got to grind it out with everybody. Be there first thing in the morning for uh, sales prep talks and you got to be there to, um, to, to catch people at the door and chase them out on the lot and all that nonsense. And I just thought to myself, this is crazy. I I don't want to do this anymore. So what happened was I started thinking to myself, I would love to sell something of of greater value. If I'm going to be making three, four, five hundred dollars selling a car, which takes me five hours, why don't I do something bigger and better and have more control of my life? So uh, being in Irvine, close to Newport Beach, I thought, I'll go sell yachts. Right. So, of course, I don't know anything about yachting. I don't even like boats myself. 
so you know i'm i'm over there interviewing with all these um, these um, these yacht enthusiasts in on um pacific coast highway in newport beach and i'm just totally in over my head uh, i'm like this is crazy right so um so i decided you know what houses how i could sell houses they are worth as much as a yacht or almost and and the commissions are great so uh, I start working uh, to get my real estate license. But in the meantime, I get, I get recruited by a guy who's, um, who liked, they came to my dealership to buy a car and they liked me and my style. And so they said, why don't you come over to our uh, mortgage lending office and sell loans with us? And so, you know, I'm hot to trot looking for something else. So I started selling loans and we're talking 2006, 2007, right? So uh, just free money everywhere. We're just call, we're just cold calling people and telling them, oh, free money, free money. And, um, and everyone, you know, by this time, people were getting a little bit, um, they were getting a little bit leery about, you know, all of these stated income interest only loans that were going out. And some people, the savvy ones caught on to what was happening. Well, so I'm doing that. And all of a sudden, um, the, the market takes a turn, right? right? So here I am, I've got my real estate license. And, um, and a couple of my buddies, uh, who are, are, are co owners at, at the brokerage where I work now, are already going to these short sale seminars, right? And they're trying to figure out how to make money in the short sale world. So what ends up happening is they link up with this other gentleman at a company that he had recently started called Short Sale Pros here in San Diego. So, mm -hmm. so they get together and they start calling realtors that have short sales and they tell them, hey, um, do you, you don't know how to negotiate a short sale with the banks. We do. Let us do the negotiating for you. Right. And so this is where it gets good. Not only do we offer to do the short sale negotiating for free for these agents, but the hidden catch is that the, um, the investment company, right, that is linked up with short sale pros, the other half of short sale pros, is this company that's uh, wholesale flipping. So what they're doing is double escrows, right? So we, and I don't even think I've told you this story before, Arthur. Um, what they're doing is we get we get control of the short sale, right? And the, the agent the agents at that time didn't know anything about short sales or how to negotiate them. And we would say, hey, listen, you don't have any buyers because the, the market is on a run right now, right? We're just totally, it's tanking. And so we're going to make an, an investor offer from, from one of our investors. And so we make this super low ball offer, right? And we um, secure the deal. And we're negotiating with the short sale lender. And then what do we do? We have that agent find the end buyer, right? So we assign the contract. We write a, a contract with an or assignee in the purchase contract name of the buyer. And, um, and then so we find a, a C buyer is what it was called. Mm -hmm. So here we are. We're securing the deal for 300, right? Ourselves. We're getting the bank to approve a 300K sale. And, um, and then the end buyer, the C buyer is going to pay 350 and that's the spread. We've got a three, a 50 K spread on this deal. And so we were working with escrow companies would carry both escrows at the same time. And we would close both deals on the same at the same time on the same day. And a 50 K check would go to, to us 
and then the the buyer would would get their house right mm-hmm. well that was fantastic those, those were days where the, they were real heydays right we had made it figured out how to make some money in the recession and uh slowly but surely bank of america specifically started catching on right they started to see these assets were turning over with these super low ball offers mind you the people they got negotiating the deals are they have no knowledge whatsoever these are just ten dollar an hour power they're just trying to you know waiting for the clock to turn 459 so they can clock out and so they don't know the difference they've never seen the house they they, you know we're the ones that are presenting this picture that the house is full of ghosts and the roof is caved in and and so anyhow bank of america starts noticing that their deals their their homes are turning over right and so and they they notice that they're they're going from one buyer to the next in a short amount of time for a different price and so they start sending these short sale approval letters with seasoning periods now you've got to season the deal they won't approve the sale unless we unless the buyer waits 90 days to resell it well, you can imagine that killed our model, um, and we, we were just out. We were just plain old out. And so um, we, we did well. There were a few crazy stories. I don't know if we have time for those stories now, <laughs> but a buddy of mine that was plucked out of his apartment while in the shower went to prison for a couple of, uh, actually a year and a half, because um, he was doing some stupid things, even stupider than what we were doing. But um, you know, it, I'm not saying that we were doing things illegal, that they were illegal at the time, but they were just unseen by the, by the banks. And so, mm-hmm. um, so once that went away, we had to figure it out again. So started wow. big block realty. And, um, and then I don't know how deep you want me to go into this story, but then since then is when I started to become a real estate agent, a realtor. Wow. Um, and that was, you know, 2000 nine-ish when when i became a full-time realtor so so in 2000 so i mean that was a big journey right there in itself so 2009 was when you became a realtor and Mm -hmm. how long were you doing that before you became a broker so the state requires that you have two years experience and uh you have to be in good standing and then Mm -hmm. you have to take additional coursework and pass a, a larger test so I, I probably was an agent. I was a, 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 a realtor, a, a real estate agent salesperson for four years, let's say. Now, I, don't, I think I got my broker's license in 2013, something like that, um, 2014. Um, and then, yeah, and, and honestly, the, the reason I became a broker was for no other reason that I uh, except for I thought, you know, if I'm going to be in this industry, I want to be a master at this. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to half-ass this. You know, this is something mm-hmm. that I'm going to, I've made a career. It took me long enough. I mean, let's not talk about the fact that guys our age, you and me both went through our earliest earning years were spent in the nastiest recession yeah. that, you know, our parents it didn't even tough, see that. Sure. It was tough for all of it us in tough. every industry. Our parents didn't have that journey. No way. No way. And so, um, and so it, was, it was just something I decided was important. And, and I couldn't quantify what it was going to do for me. But just by way of having a broker's license and being the broker made new opportunities appear. Wow. So 
Yeah. Just everything in you, kind of your journey, how you got started. So you started as a short sale negotiator during a recession and then transitioned into um, just real estate from a realtor, like a buying and selling perspective. Mm-hmm. And you, you then earned your broker's license, which is what you're doing, uh, continue till today. So now you're obviously, I know I mentioned earlier that you're investing now as well. But I kind of want to know, like, some of the what was like the biggest challenge that you faced when you, you know, transitioned into, let's say, a real estate agent, um, or even into as a broker, like, or even as an investor. Like, what what was probably the most difficult thing that you know during, let's say, this decade? Well, the, the most difficult part was sticking with it, right? Because mm-hmm. I was, and not many people know this, but I, I I was driving a limousine for my uncle at night for the first few years in, in my real estate game. And because the, the recession was so bad, you know, when, as a real estate agent, we make a check only upon closing. We don't get paid for showing houses. We don't get paid for uh, writing contracts. We only get paid after closing. And sometimes that can be 60, 90, 120 days between closings. And there's no weekly check or bi-weekly check. So I was driving a limousine at night and, um, passing out my business card and, and, you know, just trying to make it work for, for many years. So that was the most challenging part is to stick with it, stick with it until the pendulum swung. And I had made enough of a name for myself to where I could get repeat business or I could get, Mm -hmm. um, just people calling me just because they knew about who I was and wanted to work with me. Wow. I mean, I don't think I even knew uh, that kind of beginning of your journey. So, you know, that's very impressive and respect, you know, I respect that you, you know, grinded it out with, especially during that time, uh, you know, in history, so to speak, and, and, you know, be able to kind of work through that. So that's, you know, props to you on that. So, you know, you know, fast forward to kind of where you are today. I know that, you know, over the last few years, you've made some moves and in, in kind of uh, taking your earnings and just, you know, the accomplishments and just all your hard work and you transition into a multifamily space. Is that, is that right? Over the last few years? Last yeah. Year? So that, yeah. yeah. And we, we talked about this a little bit before on air and um, yeah, that's the new excitement, right? Like I think a lot of people have that in their hearts. When they think of real estate, they own, they think of uh, owning uh, owning rental property, rental income property. That's most people that are not in real estate. They don't aspire to be a realtor. They aspire to be a landlord and to make passive income. And uh, that was always the goal, right? But so we're I'm living off of commissions, and commissions are few and far between for the first four years before mm-hmm. things really started to happen. So who, nobody saves up enough money in your early years. But finally, once things got to the point where I had a few bucks and I started selling higher dollar property more frequently, then all of a sudden I had a few bucks, to, a few pennies to rub together. And that was the passion. And then so, you know, we can talk more about the, the whole transition, but I have a buddy who was buying um, mobile home parks in Alabama of all places, sight unseen, one of these. And he was getting his ass handed to him. He was getting (laughs) slaughtered, right? He's getting bamboozled by some sharp tongued salesperson about how great it is to invest in in, um, mobile home parks. (laughs) 
and um, and he he just got slaughtered, and he he just he got wise, and slowly mm. but surely started following Grant Cardone, Rod Khalif, and and the light bulb went off, and so he you know he had a few bucks, and and so he and I linked up, and one other buddy, one of the owners at my brokerage, we linked up, and we started buying multi unit, and that is really the that is what gets my wheels turning these days. And, and, and we can go on about that for sure. Yeah. So, so now that you have a taste of multifamily, and I know, I know now that's, that's a new passion that, that you're, you're venturing to. And so is it fair to say that you know, multi-unit is, is top of your list of all the deals that you've, you've uh, done uh, and seen and heard? Is, is it, and if that's the case, you know, can you talk to me a little bit more about why that those are your favorite now, like for multi? Well, yeah, because I mean, the job of a realtor is fun in that I get to hang with people that I like and, and you, you build rapport and you become friends like you and I have. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very good. And especially like, uh, like we were just talking about my La Jolla listing, that's that, you know, two plus million dollar properties are really great. The commissions are good. Um, everything's really exciting and, and the, you know, you do all this extra stuff to, um, make it look even more beautiful and, and every minute spent there is fun, but that is effectively still just chasing the next check or chasing the next deal. And that is not sustainable. That's not really scalable. Sure. There are some old timers that have been in real estate a long time, who just sell a few, like, you know, all the Reba members in La Jolla, they are all uh, <laughs> 65 plus, And there's, there's 125 of them. And they just sell two homes a year at an average price point of two mil. And they're making 120 to, to 300 grand off of just a couple of sales. And that's fine for them, right? But the rest of us, especially young blood like you and me, we want we want to sink our teeth into something a lot more tangible, something more exciting. And so that's where the multi-unit came in. Um, but I do want to clarify one thing you said. I, I am still a coach of real estate agents. I, I tell real estate agents that they should be looking at multi-unit, but uh, many of the agents that I coach, I would say, all of the agents that I coach, they're not there yet. And you, that's one thing I have to recognize and I, I'm constantly aware of is how they're still in the incubator phase. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not, they're not ready yet to take on some of the bigger leaps of faith and in getting into multi-unit. Whereas it's interesting because if you look at guys like yourself and outsiders, you skip all that realtor phase and you go straight to the good stuff. And you mm. invest money in multi-unit, and then, like you, you're just you're just already picking up momentum, you know. And so, I really, really enjoy watching that. Absolutely, and and you know, I know, I know that I know that there's, um, you know, we've been able to share stories with each other about like how how each other's progress and investing journey is, and you know, something that that I I've recognized and aspire for is, is scalability that that you and your partners, you know, are accomplishing to today. Um, I know that you mentioned that you've recently, um, or rather you've recently taken uh, funds out of an existing investment and Mm -hmm. recycled it into another multifamily home. Um, You, can you, can you walk our audience through what that kind of a recent news and story on your investment 
How, how did you, how'd yeah. you get that? Yeah, I can. And that's a beautiful story. And, and, and I, the disclaimer I'll make first is that not every single deal is a, is a home run uh, or perhaps grand slam like this one. And there's a lot of sweat equity that went into it. So I don't want to glamorize, over glamorize it. But I will say that we found a 32-unit property in 2016 in uh, Tucson, Arizona. That, and, and mind you, we're looking all over the place. The, Tucson just happens to have good growth and, um, and we were near the college. And so that's where we landed. But we have looked in all other states um, just like you. Um, and so we found a, a 32 unit that's a C minus. You could honestly say it was a C minus property. And um, the old timer that was owning it, just he didn't even keep his books. He knew nothing about it. And he got to the point where he was kicking around the idea of selling and through relationships with local agents in that area we came to know that this gentleman wanted to sell so originally we made our first pass and the gentleman didn't want anything to do with us right he thought oh my property is worth way more than than you're offering and, and nothing but after some time and letting him feel the hurt and noticing how dilapidated his own property was he came around. So um, we, we made an offer and he accepted. Um, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I'm at liberty to talk about the numbers. I, I have not read too much. I haven't read all of the fine print in our agreement. Maybe it's okay, but we, we bought it for 30 a door, if that makes, mm-hmm. if that helps. Yeah. 30 grand a door and they're all one ones. Mm-hmm. And they're all 600 square foot one ones. And, um, and then we, we went into contract and then we got, a, a, you know, we got it inspected. We got a huge request for repairs because the deferred maintenance was unreal. I mean, I didn't ever even told you this. Some of the balcony units mm-hmm. were falling like they were, <laughs> wow. you couldn't use them because they had, they had caution tape around them because the wood rot was so bad that they were falling down. The support beams had fallen. The, the floors had collapsed. It was it was extremely bad property. Um, so perhaps even a D property. And um, and so we, we got a, a, a significant um, discount in the price of the property because of that. Um, and then we we took ownership and immediately started working out the kinks. And um, do you want me? Do you want me to kind of dive in a little bit deeper into what we had to do to turn turn yeah. this property into something profitable? Yeah, okay, yeah. So. No, I'm, I'm, I think I think our audience would be very curious to see, like, um, you know, you're taking a distressed property, and you know, by ways of your just even your description on the balcony, um, that's not that's not for the faint of heart, and so. No. No, not at all. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm, I'm even, you know, I would say it's fair to say that people are probably very curious to say, well, why did you even go in? You know, why, why, Price why point. even go into something like this? Why not go to something like lipstick? So, so can you kind yeah. of dive into a little bit about that? Well, because we only qualified for a certain amount of money and that's that yeah. we wanted to get in Rod Khalif, Grant Cardone is teaching us. We want as many doors as we can get. Right. So yeah. for our money, how can we get the most amount of doors? 
well, we got to go into a market like that and buy something distressed, you know? So here we go. We end up on this property. And what do we do immediately? We start, um, we hire a different property manager because if you want to hear the funny stories about it, we had a property manager that was doing meth in one of the vacant units <laughs> with the maintenance man. And, and we believe sleeping together, right? So this person's siphoning money and just all sorts of BS. So we, we go through one property manager and we go on to the next. The next one ends up being just as bad, not doing anything for us, stealing, not giving us receipts, taking too long to respond. Our P&Ls were all over the place. Um, still a bunch of drug dealers living in the place, like just total garbage, right? So we get on to the third one. Finally, we get a good one for the third, um, on the third go. And this is a referral, whatever. We like this person. They start evicting the drug dealers. The cops are there more often. We, um, we get them to install more security lights, some security cameras. And, um, and then what do we find out? That this person is managing another property, which they have ownership and interest in, in a different part of town, not too far away. And we discover that they're taking people from that are coming to, to look at our units and showing them their own. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So we got to get rid of that guy. So we get rid of that guy. And now we're on to a lady who, a Russian lady who is um, she's just real strict, you know, the kind that you really want looking after your property. Um, then we had some trouble, you know, turning over people. We, I guess, um, I guess I can say this story. We had a drive by shooting up the walls, you know, shooting the side of the building from the street. Um, we had, a, we had that on another property in Henderson, Nevada too. <laughs> same thing. Um, and drug deals in midday. I mean, I'm literally one day I'm out there inspecting the property and these two, this guy comes off the street and this other guy standing there, they just step into, they step out of my sight for two seconds and they do a transaction and then they walk back out. And I'm like, this is nuts. Like we got to get the gates going. We got to get this place looking better. So we put all these, we spent, we spent like $1,300 installing nine cameras, right? What happens? The, the bad tenants don't like that we install these cameras and they steal them all. They climb on the roof and they steal all of our damn cameras. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Oh, you can't make this up. No, exactly. So, but uh, so fast forward now, and we're doing better. We've paid off everything. All the units have been renovated. Oh, I, I have other stories about fires, a plumber causing a fire in four of our freshly renovated units, all sorts of stuff. But uh, to get into some better numbers, we, uh, we budgeted four grand per unit to do uh, flooring, paint, and new kitchen appliances for each unit. Um, and so we turned them over, raised rents. And then, um, I, I apologize for being so long-winded, but um, we, we then, you know, brought the value up and then refinanced. And that's where, going back to your original question, we took that money from the refinance. We, put, we took half a million bucks out of that deal and just parlayed it into our next deal on Monta Vista. And that deal is is already a little bit better. It's a, like a B minus property. So it's not gonna need as much time and effort, but we're not buying it for as cheap. We're at 40 a door, 42 a door on that unit. So, um, but yeah, that's that, that's how it happened. Well, well, with the, that was definitely very entertaining. And with that kind of a start, <laughs> I could only hope that this next deal, um, you know, it seems like it's a very low bar to beat. So, I mean, that, that's, that's definitely not your, 
I would say your average of experience, but it does happen. And, you know, it sounds like there were plenty of challenges and curveballs that your group, investing group, had to overcome. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, now that, now that you have, you know, the right, you know, property manager in place and you're putting the proper, you know, uh, security and, and just, uh, it sounds like it's just, putting the right systems in place so that, yeah. so that you're attracting the right tenant so that you can actually inject and raise same value to a distressed property. So you pretty much uh, made the ugly duck, duckling, uh, you know, the goose. So <laughs> Yes. And to be clear, you don't have to buy as many units as possible and buy, you know, C minus properties. If you can find an 18 unit, let's say you've got a million bucks to spend. And you can either buy a C minus a 30 unit C minus property, or you can buy an 18, 16, 12 unit property. Mm -hmm. That's a B. Maybe that's a better option. Maybe it is. It's hard to say. Like I, you got to crunch the numbers, and that's where sure. guys like Rod Khalif and uh, Grant Cardona, those guys are are great at really helping you grind it out and and giving you all the tools you need to to be successful. Absolutely. So. Now that you've kind of gone through those experiences, and I know you, you touch a very, very good point that like you, your method that you went is basically, you know, the quality is, is going to be on the lower range, but you went for the volume of the doors, but not everyone has to do that, right? No, so exactly. You, you can, you, so, so my takeaway from that whole thing is that you kind of have to understand what your like risk tolerance and your investment profile is you know, it, are you willing to, are you willing to deal with drug dealers and, and property managers that are not, you know, really doing their job or, or ulterior motives, or are you looking for something maybe uh, with a safer return from like a B or even an A class neighborhood, knowing that it may not have that same of a, you know, upside that, that this, this, uh, the first property you had, right? So, so yeah. it sounds like it just depends on you and what yeah. you're comfortable with, but it also depends on your goals. Do you want to talk about uh, the, the returns, expected returns? And, yeah, and yeah. No, I, I, think, I think the audience would love to, to kind of to, to see that there was some sort of reward after all that. Um, yeah. yeah so why, why don't you go into that? So at first we weren't making any money for, it took about 16 months before we started turning. But once we got ahead, we, we got, you know, got caught our breath, we're now making about 14% oh. on, you know, that we're capping about 14, which is great. And I, I definitely am happy about it. We we're our, our, our gross income per month with laundry and we've got four washer dryers. Um, four washers, four dryers. We, and that makes like, you know, 300 bucks a month, but we're, we're making, we're grossing 17 to 19. Mind you, I, I don't think I've ever told you this. We have three, we have three government assistance people in there. So that's mm -hmm. something that, and I don't even actually know all of the details about that, but we get paid partial rents from the government um, for the section eight and the housing right. assistance. Right. And then they supplement the, or the rest. Uh, right. And I think we have, I think we have like three Section Eight and three government assistant tenants in there, mm -hmm. um, and so that that helps, you know, solidify that these people, you know, they don't want to lose their benefits, so they're not going anywhere. Right. It doesn't make them the best renters, but at least they're going to be 
Um, you know, not doing, yeah, they're going to be consistent. I know I'll get my money every month. So that's really good, really good. And, and, um, I don't, I don't know if that's typical to be honest for, for out of state areas. I, I don't know that answer. Yeah, no, I mean, my own personal experience, you know, you do, you do have certain neighborhoods that, that have section eight. So it's always good to ask, uh, especially if you're looking to acquire, uh, multifamilies to understand if, if um, you know, currently it's Section 8 acceptable. So, you know, for myself, I'm in the Midwest is, is typically a question that I would ask, especially, it's not specific to only C-class neighborhoods, but it's definitely something I, I would advise other investors to, to incorporate into kind of their due diligence process. Um, mm-hmm. because, because Section 8, you know, it, 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 I don't think it is uh, necessarily fair to, to put, you know, typecast, you know, who's, you know, what kind of people you get. At the end of the day, you know, just understand that you, the payment is coming from, you know, f- from someone else of the government in this situation. Yeah. So there is a level of consistency that, that is beneficial. So, um, but just understand, I think for the listeners that you, you, you have to, um, you know, it's a, just a different group to, to manage. It's just an extra process. So, That's so true. But, yep. Um, but you know, it sounds like you, you, there's a reoccurring theme, you know, from, from the beginning of your career to, to this, uh, you know, this investment or, you know, the starting of your investing journey for multifamily is just kind of sticking, sticking with your gun and being patient and just grinding it out, you know? So, you know, I like to kind of delve into more about like your like mindset as far as like your goals and motivations, like what, you know, like, it sounds like there's something that that's driving you to do all this, you know, like what, like with this real estate investment now, or just real estate in general, like what, what is your like short-term goals? Like what are your long-term goals uh, with, with real estate? Well, great question. Actually, the, I have to stay on top of myself to make sure that I'm manifesting the right stuff. And, and, you know, I, I manifest abundance and I, and I set goals and, you know, like a couple years ago, my, my set the goal for 300 K GCI, gross commissions and and you know and then once i got to that point i felt like oh my god how did that happen like wow was that because i was i was asking and believing that the universe was going to bring that to me and then providing the hard work you know anybody that read the secret or follows that methodology but mm-hmm. um now my short-term goals um you and i talked about the fact that i have a new baby at home and that is very time consuming and it took me off my game a little bit and and i definitely was in a situation where i was not as focused on work as i should have been and and frankly the the new short term goals are uh, but let let's talk let's talk about let's leave out the personal stuff the the harmony and happiness and all that stuff but when it comes to financial goals i have set you know now i need to get back up to 300 GC gross commissions and then, you know, 400 and so on, but more so is more passive income, right? So that is something that we all strive for. And that's, um, boy, I wish it was easier, right? To make, make the money, make our money work for us. And, and so that is a short term and a long term goal all in one, but in the short term, um, you know, it's, it's, it really is getting back up to, to the, the bigger gross commissions, the, the, the earnings that I was, um, even, you know, last year and the year before. Right. Right. 
And, and so, you know, I know, I know you touch bases, you know, regarding what you do here locally in San Diego. And then of course, maintaining your, you know, your, your path to financial freedom, um, you know, out of state. And so I'm sure, sure those in itself are difficult to balance. And so my question is like, what keeps you going, man? Like what, what's your biggest source of motivation to, to do all of this? Because it sounds like you, you know, you've been beaten up, you've been in the mud, um, but you just keep, you just kept it going. It's like, what, what drives you? Well, twofold, right? I, my family, I love them and I want them to be taken care of. I want to be able to afford the nice things in life. And luckily entrepreneurship is something that affords that when you're, when you're really grinding it out and do well. And then the flexibility. So I, I want, you know, that my family keeps me going. My son, my new son that I love so much changed. It, it really rewired my brain. Um, but then on, on the work side, I think I said it earlier in, in this, um, the multi-unit, man, that just, it's so, it's so much more fun. Like it's, it's a new, maybe I had this same, level of excitement when I first became a realtor and I was doing deals, uh, you know, selling condos and PB to my friends. Um, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but now it is the multi-unit stuff. It really jazzes me. I love it. It just, I don't know. I can see that why, why some of the guys that are talking about this stuff on a regular basis are so passionate about it. No, I mean, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, this, 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 uh, this podcast is about you, but, you know, to quickly diverge, you know, I kind of know what you're talking about, just like that excitement. You know, I started in the property management and leasing field uh, in Orange County, in Irvine as well. And, and so just being in multifamily, I just kind of saw the scale of, of what you can do from a financial perspective and what it can offer you, you know, as a owner landlord. Right. And so yeah. you're, you're doing that, you know, the first, first 16 months that you, like you said, it was very difficult and, but you yeah. stuck it through and you, you saw your first, you know, profit and you get to reinvest it. And then, you know, a little bit more time passed and now you're on your second acquisition. Mm -hmm. And so going through all that, like now we'll wrap, wrap that all up. Like now if you were to reflect and someone came up to you, let's say, Hey, I'm a, I'm an, I want to invest, you know, let's say it's Joe Schmo coming to you say, I want to invest. Like what advice would you give them just to start off to, to kind of, to try to do what you're doing? Um, that's a good question. So, uh, with my broker cap on, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, from the from the agent side for the agents out there that are listening to this is that you need to own the grind if you're going to come into this or any other entrepreneurial style uh, industry where you're an independent contractor a sole proprietor you have to be prepared to own the grind and that is something that we all struggle with on a daily basis picking up the phone some days it weighs a million pounds i can't do it some days and I have to force myself to prospect. I have a dialer, so it, it helps me. But if you're not on a dialer, you're manually dialing, dialing and you've got to own that grind and you're going to get hung up on and you're going to get the door slammed in your face, but you got to own it and keep going and know that, the, that at the end of the day, you're going to be in control of your own uh, financial freedom and your own self and your own schedule mm -hmm. it, as an entrepreneur, as a sole proprietor, as an independent contractor, you are in control. 
So that's the broker side, right? And for the investor side, start small. That's why you really jazz me when you talk about what you've done, because man, I think the first time we ever had this conversation, what, two years ago, three years ago, mm-hmm. you were like, it was something that you wanted to do, but you're, you know, gosh, I've had this conversation, similar conversations with 50 people over the years and nobody ever takes that leap of faith. And that's what I really respect about you is that you guys took that leap of faith and you started building your portfolio one property at a time. And so that is where it happens. That's, I think, where the magic happens. And I don't know if I heard somebody else say this too, but you got to start somewhere. And if that means start small, then start small and build your way up. Absolutely. You know, I, I think um, I, I personally draw a lot of inspiration from, you know, anything around me. And, and so I think one thing that stuck out to me on my drive uh, to my W2 nine to five job is that you, you start somewhere, you know, don't, don't measure mm-hmm. your chapter 16 to, or, or your chapter one to someone's chapter 16. Yeah. So, so you definitely have to be the author of your own, you know, your own book. And that's so, right. so I think, I think that's great, you know, from a, as a broker, putting your broker hat on, owning the grind. And then even as an investor starting small, I think it's fair to say, you know, I think those two, you know, added together can be very powerful. Yeah. And there's so, another note that I just noticed when uh, we were talking about this earlier is um, when I say start small, that doesn't necessarily mean start by yourself either. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if anyone's ever said this in your guys' group before, but crowdsourcing some funds is a great way to get started and mitigate some of that additional risk, right? So if you've only got 40 grand in your savings account, and this is your family's money that you've saved for a long time, but it's not enough to do something, but you know of a close friend whom you trust and who's got the drive that you do, pull your money together and get something, right? Mm-hmm. That's a way to start small and yet, um, and, and yet get, have an accountability partner and get, get in it with someone else who's like-minded. I think that's something that uh, you're practicing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I do a weekly mastermind and it's a, it's a good way to just stay on track. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, from that, from that piece, you know, speaking on staying on track and I know, I know we understand kind of your motivation. Like, do you have anything that you like listen to or books that you read or anything that you, you do to just kind of keep you on track? Is, is, do, you have, do you have something that you think the audience uh, should look into? Yeah. Although I don't like sharing the secret as much because <laughs> I do like keeping things to myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> Uh, so first and foremost, Rod Cleese, I, I right. think you, you must have mentioned him before. Right. He blew me out of the water. So he's new to the speaking stage. I don't know if many people know this, but he's relatively new to the speaking stage. He has been an investor for a long time, but he only recently got into the education side. And because of that, he gives on a level that no one else gives. He will go so far as to give you his direct cell phone number if you, if you need it to contact him and ask him about a deal. And that's what I love about that guy. So I, I you know, spent a thousand bucks to go to his course. I went to his course in Chicago last year and um, it was his third event ever or second event ever that he'd ever put on. And he, he laid it all out. 
I mean, with, with this course outline, every single thing you could ever need to know was in it. And I thought I respected him so much for that because, well, I mean, frankly, you have to do that to provide value when you're new to the scene, right? If you're, if you're Mike Ferry or Grant Cardone, you don't have to give as much content because everybody's oohing and aahing about how great you are, right? Right. Um, that's like the Gary V thing right now. Everybody's doing and awing <laughs> over everything he says. Um, and so, and so that's all well and good, but so that's, that's one thing. And I, I love him for that. He's a great dude. Um, the other thing is, is, is not specific to any one industry. Um, and I don't know if uh, anybody's ever heard of this, but NLP neuro linguistic programming. I, uh, I study NLP. Um, it's a it's basically a communication standard um, that has some deep principles in communicating properly and effectively. And I feel like it has transformed the way that I have dialogue with people. It helps me, frankly, it helps me get what I want from people, making them feel like they're they're happy to do me the favor that I've asked or, or, or answer the request that I've given them. Have you ever heard of NLP? Um, I have heard of it actually, but I, I haven't delved too deeply into it, but it's definitely uh, something I will look up right after this. Yeah. So there's a, um, there's, there's NLP for dummies is a great place to start. Um, and then there's the audio book. I, I have both audio book and the regular book. Um, and it's, it's just a great way to, frankly, just learn better communication. Good communication in, in the real estate world can mean the world of a difference. It means the difference between getting a deal and not getting a deal. Building rapport can often, and, and I guess we've never had this conversation, building rapport most of the time can help me ensure that I get the deal for my client. Because I spent the right amount of time, not just talking about the deal with the other broker, but building that relationship and, and helping them understand that I'm the competent other party that they want to work with. And so um, I say, give it a shot. Check it out. I definitely will. So, I mean, with, uh, with that in mind, you've shared pretty much a crazy journey in my opinion. And if you were to look back now, you know, uh, we now know how you started, what's kept you going, you know, and and then like what you're looking for in the future, you know, now, you know, fast forward almost a decade later with just, just in real estate, how would you have done things differently if you look back? Yeah. Uh, Looking back, that's always a tough one, right? Right. I, (laughs) I'd say I wish I started sooner. I've said that multiple times. I've sat there and laid uh, laid in bed looking at the ceiling fan spinning above me uh, in the morning sometimes before I'm so fully awake and sometimes wish that I started sooner. And, you know, hindsight's always, always 20-20, but I spent so many years chasing tail, you know, getting out yeah. there and trying to be cool and going out to the bars with my friends and sleeping in. Had I known what I know now and to start at 25 instead of 30, to start at 22 instead of 30, can you imagine how different uh, your life could be if you had that wherewithal early on. So 
Right. I don't know about you. You 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 seem like a pretty smart guy, and I'm sure you you've well, had lots days. of plans. But <laughs> most <laughs> but, days. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I tell you what, I I messed around too much and wasted a lot of good time. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I had a I had a father that was on me, and he mm-hmm. um, he. I guess this is a side story, and and I don't know if he'll be happy for me to say this or not, but I. Uh, I was doing nothing in the early years, in my mid twenties, just kind of wrenching on cars and, and I, you know, cause I'm a car guy and all that, but not, mm-hmm. it didn't seem like I was heading anywhere. And my dad said, he bribed me with a new Mercedes Benz. He said, do you know what? You like that car? You like that E-class? Mm-hmm. I wanted an E-class. I'm 25. No, I want a $65,000 car. How the hell am I going to buy that? He said, you want that E-class? You know, he was doing real well at that time. He said, you, you want that E-class? Go back to college, finish college, get your degree and do something, do something more meaningful than just being a, a, a wrenching on cars. And uh, I'll buy you that car. And so I did that. And and he bought me a, a big, a, a beautiful, shiny E-class. And I mm-hmm. and I was so proud of that thing. And I, and I was so happy. And, and just to not let my father down, I had to go to school. I re-enrolled in college and I, I finished and I got that paper that said I went. And so I appreciate him for that. Well, you know, I think it's uh, kind of come full circle now. I know it's, it's, it's a kind of poetic that you talked about, you know, your dad as the source, you know, at looking back and, and then now, now you're a dad and now you have a chance, you know, to, to impose everything that you're learning and, you know, pass it on to the next generation. Um, That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think I'm super excited for you and, and just kind of what you're doing locally with the San Diego community um, you know, definitely looking forward to, to just the, the progress you're going to make in, in Arizona and onwards. So, you know, uh, I think, I think for our audience, I think we can all appreciate just kind of like the, uh, the, the ups and downs that you you've experienced, what you've taken away from it. And so I, I think, I think with that, uh, I want to thank you for hopping on to the show. And, um, you know, I just wanted to see like, what would be like the best way for our audience to kind of learn more about you or even contact you? Well, thank you very much for inviting me. This was a great experience. I um, haven't been a guest on too many radio shows. um, So this is a special experience for me. And um, if somebody is interested in reaching out to me, um, I'm extremely accessible online. I mean, simply Googling the name Sandro Natali will will turn up pages and pages and pages of stuff, which I've done intentionally, although it creates a lot more <laughs> spam calls and stuff. Don't worry, but, everyone. Um, Sandro is legit. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, in the early days of Google, that was, you know, that was SEO for myself, which helped, but that's a side note. The um, I've got an About Me website, which is nataleenterprisesinc.com. I don't drive much traffic there. It's just a, a, just a simple About Me site with an IDX search in it and some other stuff about my history. Um, but I, I currently um, have a site, a real estate database site that has free home search tool. It also has um, um, uh, free valuation tools in case you wanted to know what your property was worth. Uh, contact me page as well. And then a, a blog, a fantastic blog with more information than you, you answers to every question and every topic and infographics for days and just a lot to look at. 
And that is at uh, 24hourrealtysandiego.com. Uh, the 24 is the number 24. So 2424hourrealtysandiego.com. All right. All right. And for everyone else, I will go ahead and include that into the show notes so that you guys can have a direct go-to to Sandro's pages. And so with that, Sandro, my man, I really appreciate your time in just kind of sharing the, the crazy, the fun, and just, just, the, just your journey in real estate. You know, I'm, uh, like I said earlier, super appreciative of just you being here. And uh, I'm sure our audience is as well. And so with that, I want to thank you and uh, thank our audience for listening in today. My pleasure. Thank you all. All right. Take care.